0: Oh, very kind. Kyle, your good friend. Uh, good morning, friends. Uh bring greetings, of course, from Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. And uh, I do just want to say what a privilege it is to get to spend a Sunday morning with you. And we've got history together. We've got history together. Oh, my, I was at your first public worship service back in 2017, if you can remember back that long. Uh, I visited a number of times as you got started. But sadly, and I think primarily because of the pandemic, though it also may be because Kyle and Jeff can only handle so much of me, I haven't been to one of your services in over two years. In fact, I've never actually been to the, the eBell Club. Did I say that right? I've never even been to one of your services in the eBell Club. That's how long it's been since I've spent a Sunday with you. Uh, but listen, I still love you, okay? I still pray regularly for you, uh, uh, and I'm so happy to see some old faces and some good friends. But look, if I'm honest, I actually the the faces I see this morning that make me the happiest are. Um, uh. Oh, I'll let them keep working out my sound issues there. Uh, Faces I'm happiest to see this morning are the new faces, all right? Because you're the reason that we sent uh, our friends and brothers and sisters to Santa Ana to to plant a church so that you could experience what we were experiencing with them, their friendship, their fellowship, their gospel ministry. Uh, We sent them here for you. And so when I see you here, it's just a pointed reminder that, that the sacrifice that we made as a church has been well worth it. Well worth it, more than worth it, uh, happy to make it. And listen, it uh, brings me so much joy because that here here is uh, proof that God is, God is marching through neighborhoods in Orange County and he's saving sinners. Uh, you're the proof, we're the proof, and now we're all a part of his unstoppable mission. And so uh, my hope, and I know it's yours as well, is that God would multiply the ministry of both of our churches so that we can further participate in his great mission to save new people in new neighborhoods in Orange County who don't yet know our Savior. I'm so glad we get to do that together. Well, with that, uh, if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, which I believe is the version you use as well. Uh, So you can Google Psalm 122 ASV if you don't have a copy of the Bible. And this is... Psalm, you'll see it right at the top, is a song of ascents. A song of ascents, which means it was sung by ancient Israelite pilgrims who journeyed to their religious center, the city of Jerusalem, for a festival. Upon arriving in the city and joining in the procession toward the temple, they sang this beautiful song, Psalm 122. Now, I am not going to sing it to you. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm going to pray for the Spirit to bless our time studying it this morning. So, follow along in your Bibles as I read all nine verses of Psalm 122. Then I'll pray. A song of ascents of David. Verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Verse 5, their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The very words of God, would you join me in a brief prayer? That his spirit would help us understand and apply these words this morning. Lord, we've come to you and our, our souls are hungry. We need to be nourished by the bread of your word. Our souls are parched and dry. We need to drink again from living water which we know you give to us through your word. We need instruction. We need to know how to live in this world for your glory. We need to know how to be your people, how to relate to you, how to relate to one another. And in this passage, you have gloriously and beautifully showed us how. And so I pray that that would, that would become obvious and apparent as we move through this passage. I do pray that you would do what I can't do, that you would speak to the hearts of the precious people that you've gathered here this morning and build them up through your word, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it won't be any big revelation if I tell you that we are exposed to an absurd amount of advertising. Most of the items uh, that we use on a daily basis are tools for advertising, aren't they? Our phones, our computers, our clothes, our cars, our social media accounts, Google. I think even our kids are basically walking advertisements at this point. We're inundated with ads, which, which means that an ad has to be really good to set itself apart from the crowd. And back in 2017, I saw one such ad on a highway billboard in big letters styled like a postcard. I read, greetings from Funner, California, with a massive picture of David Hasselhoff next to it. Now, when I arrived at my destination, I quickly pulled out my phone and looked up Funner, California, and here's what the ad said. David Hasselhoff... David Hasselhoff is the mayor of a magical place. A place where fun means something funner. While most mayors give speeches, the hoff speaks to your soul. And your soul speaks back, saying, Hey man, where are you having all this fun? Funner. It's not a word, (laughs) it's a place. This ad was a promotion for Harrah's Resort and Casino in Southern California. As part of their marketing campaign, they actually legally created a city called Funner, California, and then recruited David Hasselhoff as their first mayor. I promise you, if you go into Google Maps and type in Funner, California, it will take you to Harrah's. Now, I can't speak to the effectiveness of the ad campaign. What I can say is that I didn't go there as a result of it. I've still never been. And the reason the ad didn't work on me is because I know that Harris is overselling itself. It's just a big hotel in the middle of nowhere with a lazy river and an all-you-can-eat buffet. Okay? <laughs> That's all that it is. There's a thousand other things that would be funner than going to funner California. But if I had taken the bait and booked a room, when I arrived, I'm assuming I would have been asking myself, What on earth am I doing here? What on earth am I doing here? This does not live up to the hype. I wonder if if you have ever had similar thoughts to the church. Have you ever asked yourself, perhaps on a Sunday morning, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Why am I here? Do I belong here? What, what good is this doing for me? What, what good am I doing for others that are here? What meaningful contribution am I making? See, over time, uh, Christians can lose their vision for their place among God's people. Over time, Sunday mornings, the one time every week when your whole church is in one place, right? These times can lose their excitement. Right? Same routine. Same structure same songs, same kind of preaching, same people with maybe some new faces occasionally. What's so great about what's happening here? Now look, perhaps there are some of you here who go to bed each Saturday night and wake up each Sunday morning twitching with excitement about going to church, and that's great. But listen, if you don't, If you don't, if that's not you, I believe the the Lord wants to help increase your joy and anticipation for this weekly gathering. The Lord wants you to know deep in your soul, there's no place. There is no place like your place among God's people. No place like your place among God's people. Now, let me show you this from our passage. I'm going to take you through three points. I'll give them to you as we go. Why should you, cross of grace, why should you be so excited about Sunday mornings with cross of grace? Point number one, God is here. God is here. Psalm 122 is a song that celebrates the city of Jerusalem. It was originally sung by an individual who had just made a long and difficult journey to this city. We know he's already arrived because of verse 2. Look at verse 2. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. The pilgrim is already there, but he, but he begins his song by remembering the invitation to take the track. Verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, thinking of the past. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now imagine just for a moment an ancient Israelite who lives in a small town coming into the town square one evening because the elders have an announcement to make, and they say, gather your things. In two days, we're making the journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. This announcement made the ancient Israelite very glad. I was glad when they said to me, sort of like, like a kid who, who, who's just been told that you're taking them to Disneyland. Man. Yeah, just like that. I'm not sure that's what our psalmist has in mind when he says he was glad, but something like that. Thanks for the help, kids. We rehearsed this. What happened? <laughs> Good enough. Passing grade. But this, this ancient Israelite is just brimming with excitement. Brimming with excitement. But, but why the excitement? I mean, think about this. This is what traveling to Jerusalem would mean for him. He's got to press pause on his work at home. He's going to have a very long distance to walk in sandals without any arch supports next to his stinky pack mule in the arid desert, potentially exposed to bad weather and vicious animals. It's a very dangerous journey. Yet he's delighted at the prospect of making it. Is he insane? It might seem so. The reason he's not insane is because the second half of verse 1, I was glad when they said to me this phrase, let us go to the house of the Lord. What makes Jerusalem so special and so worthy of braving all the dangers of the journey is the one who has made his home there, the Lord. The Lord has made his home in Jerusalem among his people. It's, it's here in this city, in their temple, that heaven has met earth in a way that it doesn't in any other place on the planet. Jerusalem hosts the temple, which is where God meets with his people. That's why, primarily, the ancient worshipers are so excited about traveling there. One author, one author aptly put it. He said, This psalm testifies to the joy of the pilgrims journeying to Jerusalem and the longing of the godly to meet with God and his people in the courts of his temple. The psalm opens with a note of the longing fulfilled. I'm here. I've made it. It's time to meet with God and his people. Now, you and I don't need to be so excited about Jerusalem, okay? You and I don't need to be so excited about Jerusalem because the temple, the place where God meets with his people, is no longer halfway across the globe. The place where God meets with his people is here, where his people are assembled. Listen to the Apostle Paul's description of the church, Ephesians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Here's how he describes the church. So then he writes, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, hear all the temple language, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Collectively, right? Collectively, we are the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that means that we experience God's presence and His power in a unique way when we're together, a way that's different than when we're apart. Uh, David Peterson, in his excellent book, Engaging with God, he says it this way. The people of God continue to be the Spirit-filled community when they disperse and go about their daily affairs, but their identity as the temple of the Lord finds particular expression when they gather together in Jesus' name to experience His presence and power in their midst. Your identity as the temple of the Lord finds particular expression when you gather in Jesus' name like you have this morning to experience His presence and power in your midst. Do you ever wonder... ever wonder why you feel more spiritually engaged and alive when you're with other Christians? It's primarily because of this reason. It's not a social experiment. It's primarily because God is meeting you, blessing you, encouraging you, and helping you in unique ways through his people that he wouldn't be doing if you were alone. That's why You should be excited to make this trip here every Sunday morning because God is here in a unique way. He's with you the rest of the week, okay? Not saying he's not with you the rest of the week. He's with you the rest of the week, but he's got unique gifts and blessings to give you when you take your place among his people. And listen, if you're not a Christian, you're not left out of this either. You're not left out. It's important that you know that God is here. First Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul describes his expectation that, that non-Christians who attend church services will recognize at moments that God is there. So if you're not a Christian, first off, thank you for being here. My goodness, thank you for taking uh, a step into a church. I want you to know that if you feel any magnetism towards these people, It's because of the presence of God. That's what you're sensing. He's here. And these people are eager to introduce you to him. Cross of grace, your pastors and leaders have a standing invitation for you. Okay, arms wide open. Every Sunday, you can hear them saying, let us go to the house of the Lord, a standing invitation for you, and I I hope that you will make this journey every week with joy. It's not a long and arduous and dangerous journey. I mean, it might be a little bit, but not really, not like the psalmist, but may it be a journey that you make each week with joy. I know when I arrive at church on Sunday mornings, and I'm waiting for the service to start, I'll often look around as people are walking in and say to myself, there's no other place In my city this morning, where God is more obviously present than right here. If I went into a restaurant, if I went into City Hall, God's there, but not like He is with His people. Right here where you are this morning, this is where God is most clearly displaying his glory, grace, and goodness each Sunday. And that's true for all true churches, but, but you're at this church, and I'd encourage you to see it the same way. Look around regularly on Sunday mornings and say, this is where I will most clearly encounter the glory and grace of God today. Listen, God loves to be with his people, okay? The reason there's salvation at all The reason God saved anyone at all at the unbelievably high price of the death of his only begotten son is so that his people would be with him. The father loves to be with his kids. The groom, Jesus, loves to be with his bride. And so when you're here, he's here. That's what makes this meeting so special, so exciting, so necessary, and why we should be glad to make the journey. Point number two, God designed this. God designed this. Psalm continues, verse 3, by celebrating the virtues of the city of Jerusalem. Verse 3, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together strange phrase on the surface. If you dig a little bit deeper, this verse is really about how striking Jerusalem is to behold. It's well organized. That's the idea. It's well apportioned, right? It's orderly. It's a beautiful city. And the only city that I've seen that comes close to that description is Zurich, Switzerland. My wife and I were there in 2014. It's well organized. It's clean. The trains all run on time. It's true. The myth about Swiss trains always being on time is actually true. But, but the psalmist is saying something more than that the city is well managed and well manicured. The city is divinely designed. That's what he's getting at. The city is divinely designed designed. That's what verses 4 and 5 tease out for us as you move through this stanza of the song. Verse 4. This is the city to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Jerusalem is a well-ordered city, but don't think that that means everything is identical. There's diversity in Jerusalem. All of the different tribes are represented there, and all of them travel there for the festival. It's a diverse city, but in all its diversity, the people are united by their God, bound firmly together, just like the city they've come to. And what were they there to do? Last line of verse 4, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. That's a great one-phrase definition of worship, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. I mean, note, note what, what they're not there to do. They're not there primarily to weep over their sin or to solemnly do what God requires. Worship, in fact, is always a movement towards thanking God. Doesn't mean that you won't have seasons of sorrow or difficulty as you worship, but He's always moving us towards thanksgiving. That's the movement. Even the Lamentation Psalms are moving you towards thanksgiving and confidence. He does all that He does for His people to the praise of His glorious grace. And so the pilgrims are there to worship. That's what they've come to do. They're there to worship at the temple, but that's not all. Verse 5, their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David, which You guys are studying 1 Samuel, so you're seeing that throne be established. The point here, verse 4 and verse 5, Jerusalem is the center of both Israelite religion, the temple, and Israelite royalty, the palace. It's a place of worship, but it's also a place of justice. The temple and the throne, God and God's king are there. And this, of course, is all designed and established by God. But look again with me at one phrase in verse 4, tucked right in the middle of verse 4. This is where we get to the divine design of the city for all of these worshipers. This little phrase, "...as was decreed for Israel." There are a number of sacrifices and annual festivals that Israel was commanded to observe throughout the Old Testament, and we find the specific instruction in Deuteronomy 12 where God has Moses record, take care that you do not offer burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. And that place turns out to be the city of Jerusalem. God commanded Israel to come to this place. And obeying this command, as we saw at the beginning, is no chore. Again, remember the first three words of the psalm, I was glad. He's delighted to obey this command. Now look, as Americans, I know we love obeying commands, right? It's like our, probably our favorite thing to do, right? Wrong. So think about it for a minute. This is gonna be hard for us. Think about this. What's a command that you love to obey? What's a command that you love to obey? I'll I'll give you one of mine, okay, to help you out. When my grandmother tells us to be at her house at 5 p.m. for Thanksgiving dinner, oh my, that's an instruction I simply can't wait to obey. (laughs) Oh, I cannot wait, I cannot wait, I was glad When grandma said to me, be at my house at five o'clock for Thanksgiving dinner. Now, why would I love that so much? Oh, my. Because it's a meal and an occasion that's designed for our family to enjoy. Right? Pick your favorite family meal of the year. Designed for your family to enjoy. Every detail, each ingredient and dish, right? No, you don't count calories, Right? You put all the tastiest stuff in it. It's all made for our enjoyment. That's precisely what these festivals in Jerusalem were for ancient Israel. And that's precisely what Sunday mornings are for us. Look, Jerusalem was central to God's plan for Israel. Israel. Israel was central to God's plan for the world. Israel brought the Messiah into the world who who was himself the new temple, the meeting place for God and men, Jesus Christ. He was the son of King David who would rule forever. He sat upon this throne, sits upon it. He was the high priest who became the final sacrifice for our sins. Listen, Jerusalem is all preparation for Jesus. Make no mistake about that. All of this preparation for Jesus. And now that He has come, now that He has come, that He died, that He rose, that He ascended to His heavenly throne and sent His Spirit to dwell among us, we, the church, are now central to God's plan for the world. A display for people on earth and heavenly beings of the infinite wisdom of God. The church is divinely designed bound firmly together. No person is misplaced. No one is here by accident. Now listen, part of his good, wise plan for us is to gather weekly, like this, for worship and fellowship. What you're doing here this morning is decreed by God, just like this was decreed for Israel. The author of Hebrews says famously not to neglect meeting together. And the first Christians in the book of Acts met weekly for worship, fellowship, biblical instruction, and to gather around the Lord's table like we will at the end of this service. All by God's good design. God designed it. Through your pastors and leaders, God has architected these meetings for you. The public reading of Scripture. Songs about God and His gospel, Bible preaching, God-centered prayers, the sacraments of communion and baptism, personal ministry as you greet one another, pray for one another, care for the kids, and the countless and mostly unseen ways that you all love one another while you're here. Everything designed by God. A weekly meeting where the Lord presides, your pastors lead You receive and you give by serving others. This is designed by God, and this is how God is doing his most important work on earth building up his people. I can't say it better than John Piper. Here's what he wrote God's purpose on the earth is so sweeping. God's purpose on the earth will advance through Bible-saturated, Christ-exalting, God-centered churches where the gravity and gladness of eternal worship is awakened and rehearsed each week. God's purpose on earth is advancing through what you are doing here this morning, and so Cherish these meetings. Cherish these meetings because they are designed by God for you and for your neighbors. Oh, I know that. I know that because I've been here with you, but I know that your pastors submit everything that you do to God's word. You're taking his decree seriously and joyfully. So come each week knowing that God has designed this just for you. And let that awaken joy in your heart as you make your way here on Sunday mornings. God has designed this. Point number three. God has work for you here. God has work for you here. The final stanza of this poem begins in verse six with our worshiper now turning to his fellow worshippers to instruct them. First line of verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, this sentence is a play on words. For Jerusalem means city of peace. Pray for the peace of the city of peace. Salem is the English version of the Hebrew word shalom, which is the very word he uses at the beginning. Pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. Shalom type peace is when everything is right with the world. It's a panoramic word, right? Panoramic. Shalom type peace is when everything's right with the world. No strife with God, no strife between people, no theft or abuse or murder, no unjustified proxy wars like what's going on in the world right now. Nobody in need, material prosperity and wealth. That's the idea behind shalom style peace, the kind of peace he's praying for here. And it's only natural, only natural that an Israelite would want this magnificent, divinely designed city to experience that kind of peace. The city is so important, so important that the Israelite tells his fellow Israelites to ask God to maintain this precious peace. The next three lines, second half of verse 6 in verse 7, these really are a sample prayer. That's what he gives you, a sample prayer. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. May those who love this city, who love the city of Jerusalem, be at peace. May there be peace from threats within the walls and peace from threats that come outside the walls. His prayer encompasses both. Now, how should we apply verses 6 and 7? Well, let me ask you this way. If we, if we take these verses and begin to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, have we taken the ancient Israelites' instruction to heart? Well, look, it's perfectly fine to pray for Jerusalem. I think you should. No issue there. Pray for Jerusalem. But if, if I've, as i am already mentioned, the church is the new Jerusalem and God's purposes are now centered here, then you can comfortably sub in your church name for Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Cross of Grace Church. May those who love you, may those who love this church be secure. May God's peace reign in the hearts of these dear people. Our charge is to pray for the peace of the church. And who can do that? Everyone, right? Anyone can pray for the peace of their church. This is meaningful and critical work. If we neglect prayer, yeah, it's almost useless to do anything else. So, no big revelation here. Make a plan to pray for your church. Oh, you can show up 15 minutes before the service and pray with a group of church members this morning. I got to do it this morning. But however you do it, Saturday nights, Sunday mornings, pray for your pastors who are planning and leading. Pray for your worship team members. Pray for the preacher. Pray for the children's ministry volunteers and the kids that are learning about Jesus. Pray for the guests. Pray for the unbelievers that will attend, that they'll come to know Christ. Pray for the peace of Cross of Grace Church. But prayer isn't all that's called for in Psalm 122. Look at the very last verse, verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, a commitment, I will seek your good. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I will seek your good is very broad, isn't it? But I think that's actually really helpful. Here's really where the rubber meets the road for us as we observe this ancient Israelite saying, I'm going to seek the good of Jerusalem. We can't be neutral toward the state of our church. okay? We can't be neutral toward the state of our church church. God, God has given each of us a role in maintaining the peace of our church and working for its growth. He's given us a role that includes prayer but is more than prayer. We all have a role. And I say maintaining on purpose, okay? Peace in the church is maintained, not attained, okay? Peace is maintained, not attained. God, God gives us peace as a gift, Okay? He gives us peace as a gift. We're at peace with God first and foremost through the blood of His Son. Peace with God. And out of that flows peace with other Christians. That's our starting point. Okay, That's been given to us as a gift from God. But we can disturb that peace. And, and perhaps... Some of you have been in churches where that peace has been disturbed. I can imagine. Uh, even in my own church, I have church members who have attended churches where they couldn't be glad to go there. And if that's been your experience, you you have uh, you have my sympathy. Okay? Not not all churches are healthy happy places, right? I'm a realist, okay? Not all churches are healthy, happy places. Not all churches are appropriating or preserving the grace and peace that God has given us. And you don't have to pretend to be glad at church. I wouldn't want you walking away from Psalm 122 thinking that you need to pretend, put on a happy face when you show up here. Our joy should be genuine joy. But, but if you've been burned by a church, the only way that I'm aware of for you to heal is to participate in another healthy church for an extended period of time. There's just no quick fix. But I am confident (laughs) that this morning you are in a healthy and happy church. And so my encouragement to you, trust these people. Open your heart and your life to these people. Serve beside them. Learn learn how to enjoy being with them, and and God, over time, will do the deep healing work in your heart. Cross of Grace, the role of preserving the peace of this church belongs to every one of you. Your church, this church, is only as strong as its members, okay? Okay? The church only prospers if the members give themselves to ministry and generosity. The pastors, your pastors and leaders, they could work overtime and pray and make sacrifices galore. But unless all the members join them in it, the church can't really prosper. Now listen, this is not a corrective, okay? In fact, if I could say anything to you, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the ways you're already doing this. I I imagine as you read this passage and as you think of praying for the peace of this church and working for the peace of this church, that just resonates with you. You're already doing it. That your church has been here for over four years and continues to grow is proof that you are all seeking the good of this local church. I've experienced this this morning, so thank you. But if you wonder whether or not there's a place for you to make a meaningful contribution here, oh, I want to assure you that there is. God has given each of you gifts, experiences, time, resources that you can put in service of these people. Christ Himself, think of it this way take the focus off yourself. Christ himself has gifts that he wants to distribute to his church. That's his posture. Generously bestowing gifts upon his church. And he wants to give those gifts to his church through you. The gifts of companionship. The gifts of encouragement. The gifts of love. The gifts of knowledge of his word and his character. Sometimes, at times, to preserve the peace, the gift of forgiveness. Those are all gifts that he wants to give to this church through you. So God has a job for you here. Meaningful kingdom work for you here. Whether you have an official assignment, like serving on the worship team or greeting or children's ministry, or whether your assignment's unofficial. You're here lending your voice to the songs. You're praying, you're listening, you're learning. You're talking to others and encouraging them. God has work for you to do here, work that will please him, work that will contribute to the peace and prosperity of this church. You are not useless in this church, and if you think that you are, oh, let me convince you otherwise. You're not useless in this church. Each of you has a role seeking the good of this church, and so this morning, I want to encourage you, make the same commitment the psalmist made. Say in your heart, I will seek your good cross of grace. I will seek your good. Listen, No church is perfect, okay? No church is perfect, but every true church is worthy of our unyielding commitment. I love Kevin DeYoung's encouragement on this point. Here's what he writes. If we truly love the church, we will bear with her in her failings, endure her struggles, believe her to be the beloved bride of Christ, and hope for her final glorification. He says, I, I still believe the church is the hope of the world. Not because she gets it all right, but because she is a body with Christ for her head. My friends, one day, every day, will be a Sunday. One day every day will be a Sunday. Even though on the surface, and I feel this in my church too, even though on the surface our services can appear simple and unimpressive, our Sunday services are a taste of the future, a taste of the future. Every Sunday, a rehearsal for eternity. Right now, we're being built as the temple of God by the Spirit. We're the new Jerusalem, but when Christ returns, he will bring down with him the eternal Jerusalem, a perfectly apportioned, divinely designed city bathed in the light of the glory of God himself. We'll be with God forever. No sin, no sorrow, no strife. We'll have true and lasting peace. These prayers for peace will finally be answered. We will sing to him. We will serve him. We will love one another. We will feast. And each week you get a foretaste of that unbelievably wonderful future. So there really is no place like your place among God's people. So be be glad. When you come to this meeting every Sunday, God's designed this for you. You're helping preserve the peace and prosperity of this church. And I'm about to pray that you will keep doing that until Christ returns and makes every day a Sunday. So let me pray, and then we'll respond with a glad song. Lord, I want to pray in particular for those who have a difficult time saying, I was glad when I received the invitation to gather with God's people. That that does not immediately draw joy and anticipation out of them for whatever reason. I just pray that this morning you would give them hope that that can change that they can come to enjoy being with God's people, singing his praises, loving your people. Give hope to those who, who feel that this is not a glad meeting. And I pray, restore their joy and their gladness. For those, Lord, who serve faithfully every week to make this church a possibility, I pray that they would feel your pleasure in their service and would delight to do your will. That they would uh, barely be able to contain themselves from getting out the door on Sunday mornings as they come here to be among your people. That that would be characteristic of this church. And that every contribution, big and small, would be seen as critical and important and meaningful work that you are using to build your kingdom and spread your fame in Santa Ana and beyond. Oh, do these things, we pray. Lord, for the glory of your name, for the strengthening of this church, and for the progress of the gospel, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.